I tell you, we had some really good times. Uh, we went uh, we went canoeing at one point, I think, with some of our friends, uh, Mark and Melissa. We have gone to concerts, as he mentioned. We did a lot of different things in college. And one thing I remember is that Dan loved to preach, and he loved to study God's Word. And so I know that you guys are blessed to have him. And uh, Teresa is just the sweetest uh, in college. She was just everybody's friend, and she was a, a good uh, part of our friend group back in the early days of college. Uh, I have nothing bad. You, you'll not get any blackmail stories. Out of, <clears throat> the one I, I could share, I won't. <laughs> right. Uh, but you guys are blessed. And we're, we're so thankful to be here uh, with uh, Dan and this congregation. We know as an extension of his heart, his family, and his ministry here. And we got to meet his girls last night, and they are just both top-notch. We're just so thankful that uh, we got to meet them and see uh, the product of Dan and Teresa. And it's so cool to see how the generations continue in the Lord that way. And we're thankful that you've had us come. And today, let me just uh, share with you uh, just a, a real, real basic truth. And uh, is this going to be working? All right. And that is that small things can make a big impact. Right? Let me say that again. Small things can make a huge impact. Now, just look at a few of these sample items. A bullet, a ring, egg. They all change the world. They can be huge impact. And, uh, for instance, it can put meat on the table from a bullet. All you hunters out there, give me an amen. Yes. Uh, my, that was probably one of the hardest things to, when we moved and sold our house is to empty out that freezer and realize that we, we had to leave it behind. We can't take all of that good stuff with us overseas. They won't let it in the country. Uh, the rings, that's a picture of my parents. 55, 56, 56 years of marriage. Uh, that is an amazing thing that I look up to, and it can be just that little small symbol of a ring that turns into an entire legacy of faith in your family. And then, of course, having children. And we have three. We have a son, a daughter, and then another son. And uh, we just graduated our daughter from college last spring and our youngest from high school last spring. And then our daughter got married in August. And so we are on our way in this legacy thing of having an empty nest. Well, small things make a huge impact. And God can use anything to accomplish His will. And if it's okay with you guys today, I just want to tell some stories of how God has done exactly that. Taking those small things and making a huge impact. Well, once upon a time, that's how all good stories start, right? Once upon a time, there was a young boy and his donkey. Now, this boy was a part of a poor family, and they had a small plot of land. And on that land, they grew some vegetables that they would sell in the marketplace. And the donkey was both labor for the plow and transportation into town when it was time to sell the vegetables. And the boy's job was to take care of this donkey. And so they grew close. 
and he would feed and water this animal, and he would also talk to it and tell all of his secrets to this donkey, knowing the donkey would never talk back. And the donkey would talk back to him, though. Yee-haw! Yee-haw! And they just grew to be really close. Well, the years went by, and the donkey got older, and the boy and his family knew that there wasn't a lot of time left. And sure enough, one day, as they were coming back from the village, the donkey collapsed and died. And they didn't have many resources, and so they just pulled the animal off to the side of the road, and they left it. Over the next couple of weeks, the scavengers cleaned it, and the sun bleached the bones. And you would say, that's an insignificant donkey, insignificant death, and you'd be wrong. Because just about that time, there was a hero of the Israelite people who they thought they had captured. But Samson reached down, grabbed a donkey's jawbone, and killed a thousand Philistines. He says, with the donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. With the donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys out of them. He thought he was a poet. You can read Judges 15 if you want to read more. But God placed just the right animal, bones, at just the right time, in such a way that Samson was able to reach down and use it for God's glory. And we, we don't know for sure that's the story of the donkey. That's not in the Bible. But God uses small things to make a big impact. And Samson used the donkey's jawbone in that way. And God can use anything, even the death of a, of a dumb animal, for His glory. Now take, for example, another story that should be very familiar to you. There's this valley. It's very peaceful. This river has run through the valley for hundreds of years, carving out this beautiful vista of peace and serenity. But one day, military boots stomp through and muddy the waters. And once again, the Philistines and the Israelites line up on either side of this valley. And they had this huge giant of a man on the Philistine side who was calling out curses and demeaning the faith and the God of the Israelites. And it was a small, youngest child of eight boys that God used to defeat this giant. He picked up one of those insignificant stones out of that insignificant stream in this little peaceful valley, to defeat a giant. In fact, he used that boy as an illustration of how to have victory by faith in the name of Jehovah God and showed all the adults how it was done. Maybe that's why I like youth ministry so much is because sometimes we overlook the young people and the kids and we think, well, they're just kids. But God looks at them and says, no, they're full of potential for my kingdom. Raise your hand if you're the youngest child in your family. <clears throat> you're probably overlooked. Everyone ignores you and, and no one listens to what you have to say. <clears throat> well, I want you to know God listens 
And He is looking and He has a plan for you. And He is going to take that insignificant rock, <clears throat> proverbially. Could I? <clears throat> Something is in my throat. apologize. Thank you. And He is going to defeat some enemies in His kingdom because you guys, even though you are young, have the faith and the trust in a God who can do more than you can. And God is so good at taking those small things that we put into His hand and He can make huge things and He can accomplish anything according to His will if we will just put our small gifts and our abilities and trust Him. Jesus used the mustard seed as an illustration. He, he shows these people this tiny little seed and he says the mustard seed grows into a huge tree that actually changes an ecosystem. It provides shelter and home for many animals. And in the same way, you guys, if you will, plant those small seeds and be faithful in those little things, God will take them and He will change your family. He will change your church. He will change your school. He will change your community because of the small, faithful seeds you are planting. And Jesus said that's just a picture of what God can do with you, giving your small gifts. Now, there was a, a man by the name of Nate Saint. And uh, as a young man, Raised in the church, he wanted to do something more. And he became a missionary. And they set their sights on this group in South America called the Alca Indians in Ecuador. And they wanted to reach this group, but they didn't know the language. And they, they, their reputation was savage. They called them Alcas, and the Alcas means savages. But they called themselves the Wodani people, um, so they made a plan. Nate Saint was a pilot, and he would fly over their village in a plane where he had built this contraption where he would drop a bucket from a long rope and fly in a tight circle so that the bucket stayed stationary in the middle, and they would deliver these gifts, wanting the people to know, we come in peace, we want to be friends. Um, and so they did this, and they thought things were going pretty well. Because the Indians would replace those gifts with gifts of their own. Carvings and, and food and uh, skins and such. So that they thought, okay, let's do this. And they had learned a little of the language from some local women. And that fateful day, they landed the plane on the banks of the Kure River. Little did they know, the Alcas thought that everyone else in the world were cannibals. And that the missionaries were trying to trick them. So when they got out of the plane and headed toward them, they were ambushed by all of these men from the village with spears and they were stabbed to death. Now this news rocked the western world. There were immediately five widows and fatherless children in the wake of this tragedy. But Nate Saint's wife and sister and a couple of the others decided to continue to work and stay and reach out to these Alka Indians. After a time, they finally realized they were not trying to trick them. And it was the sacrifice of those five men. 
and the continued efforts of those women. The entire Alka Indian village, this people group, all came to Christ. Awesome. But that's not the end of the story. Nate Saint had a son. His name was Steve. And Steve grew up around the Alkas. And when he was 14, he accepted Christ and was baptized in the same river and by the same men who killed his father. Can you imagine? Wow. God could use the end of a spear, which is the title of the movie if you want to watch to accomplish the entire salvation of that whole village, even though it was tragic. You see, God can use small things for His glory. He can use anything for His will. In fact, these small things that we sometimes overlook or we look at and we think, well, that's not something from God. Maybe it's not. But it's always possible for God to use something for His glory. My grandfather, Cecil Todd Sr., was in World War I, and he was hit by a bomb. The shrapnel entered his body, and he had to go to the medical center in Paris. Now, while he was at the medical center in Paris, uh, there was this cute little nurse who uh, helped care for him. And even though she didn't speak English, and he didn't speak French, there was a love connection. And they locked eyes, and their body language spoke volumes. And uh, so they had this thing going, and he got better and went finished the war. When the war was over, he came back to Paris to look for this cute little volunteer nurse. And she, unbeknownst to him, was up in her balcony apartment watching all of the military, the American soldiers, go by on the street hoping to see him. Well, as God would have it, uh, he looked up, saw her looking at him, and the rest is history. So here I am, right? Well, long story short, she went from being a model in Paris to being a ranch hand in southeast Oklahoma, and she had nine, no, 11 children. Nine of them were boys. And my dad was number nine of the 11, and uh, she was a French Catholic raised in Paris, but in this part of Oklahoma, there were no churches. And so one day, a missionary from Ozark Bible College comes through the area doing revival services in the schoolhouse. And so she hears about this. She loves God, and she wants all of her boys to become priests. And so she gathers up her kids, and they go to the schoolhouse for the revival service. Well, it was at that revival service, you guys, when she first heard about baptism. She'd never been taught it as a kid in the French Catholic Church there in Paris. And she said, show that to me in my French Catholic Bible. And they opened up the scriptures and they showed her some of the the stories. And she just said, well, if God says it, I'm going to do it. And so she walked right down. We went down to Black Fork River and she was baptized into Christ along with some of her older kids that also accepted Christ. One of which was my uncle Cecil, named after his dad. Uh, And he ended up going to Bible College in Joplin at Ozark Bible College. And he became a preacher and he would go back to his hometown in Neshoba and he preached revivals and he ended up 
winning my dad, his little brother, to Christ. And after all was said and done, there was like, you know, nine boys. Five of them became preachers, and the two girls married preachers, and all of them followed Jesus and loved Jesus by the time everything was done. And Cecil went on to start this thing called Revival Fires back in the day, a traveling evangelist, uh, you know, with the Good Twins and Lowell Mason and uh, all sorts of crazy uh, trips and stuff. They ended up going to Russia when communism fell. And there's a picture of him preaching in Red Square. And uh, he, you know, was even there with Ronald Reagan and uh, the blessing of the president in this endeavor, taking Bibles to Russia, starting churches in Russia during that time. And then after that, he ended up getting into China. And they took Bibles into the house churches there in China. And then just this year, you guys, 88 years old, Uncle Cecil took Bibles into Cuba and helped the house churches there to get the Scriptures into the hands of the people in Cuba. Hundreds and thousands of people are going to be in heaven with us because of a piece of shrapnel. God uses those small things that make a huge impact. He can use even something intended for evil, a bomb in a war, in order to accomplish His will of changing the life of my grandpa and his wife and all of those kids and all of us grandkids. And who knows what He will continue to do through the impact of that bomb. My daughter tells a story when she got to go to uh, Lebanon to do an internship with ELIC, uh, English as a Second Language. And so while she was there, she saw this happen. She tells a story about this young boy, and he was a part of a Syrian refugee camp in Lebanon. And in this Syrian refugee camp, uh, there wasn't much opportunity for anything for these uh, people who were displaced out of their home. But there was a church that started a school and offered English and Arabic and math. And the kids from this community would come to this school even though it was at a church. And they did not teach Christianity at the church because they wanted to respect all the Muslim families uh, that were represented in those kids. But at Christmas time, they invited all those kids and their families to come to a special Christmas program where they did tell the true story of Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who is to fulfill all the prophecies. And they shared the true story of Jesus and the good news of, of salvation and His death on the cross and the whole story. And this little boy who goes to the school says, I want to know more about Jesus. And he ends up becoming a Christian. And his family, his parents were ticked off, <laughs> to say the least. They're Muslims. They did not want their kid to become a Christian. But because he was getting good grades in school, they let him keep coming. He ended up winning his younger brother and sister to Christ also in the next couple of years. And then in 2018, at, uh, when my daughter was there for her internship, she witnessed mom and dad immersed into Christ after five years of their uh, youngest or of their uh, firstborn becoming a Christian and winning 
the younger, now their an entire family is now Christian. And they're in the middle of a refugee camp full of Muslims. And so it's been a year and a half, you guys. And I don't know that the story is not over and how many more people are influenced for Christ because of math. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, no one likes math. Raise your hand if you like math. Okay, you're weird. Okay, just kidding. Just kidding. Math is cool. Uh, stay in school. <laughs> but God uses even math to have this young boy in the right place at the right time and have the right heart to then end up reaching his entire family and who knows how many more in their community right now in Lebanon. Amazing. God uses small things to make this huge impact to accomplish His will. Do you believe that, church? It's awesome how He does that. Well, He's still doing that today. And He's still doing that. And, and I'm just going to share you our, with you our story. Now, our starts with meeting a missionary at camp. Um, little background. I'm a preacher's kid. You figured that out already, right? My dad's a preacher. Well, we had lots of people come through our church and camp and missionaries and speakers. And I was that kid who would be like, hey, mom, can I empty out my piggy bank for the VBS missionary? And she'd be like, sure. And I was the kid that in college said at the missions emphasis week, God, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything. And God kept opening up student ministry. And so for the last 26 years, Marilyn and I, our mission has been the American teenager and the family in the church and helping them to know their identity in Christ and their purpose uh, in the image of God. We want uh, kids to grow into their identity in Christ. That's been our mission. And it's awesome. We love it. I love it. Uh, It's what I do. And at camp which if you've ever been to camp, raise your hand if you've been to camp, church camp, right? Okay, you know how awesome it is then, how much you can get out of it, so many friends you make, the fun memories, and you're kind of, you know, you get away from your home and you get out of your routine and you're able to really focus and worship and grow and have fun. Well, junior high camp is a special, special age group where, They want to be grown up, but they don't realize how bad they smell. You know what I'm saying? It's that stage of life, junior high. God love them. I love them. But they're just that special age. And uh, it was at that camp where I met Rob and Lynn Branham. And they were missionaries from Australia. I didn't think anything of it. They had their daughter with them, uh, little Katie. And so we had a great week, talked about Australia and what they were doing. Well, in the last several, you know, we've been at this church in Moberly, Missouri for over 20 years, and we have many contacts with a lot of missionaries, uh, Solonique from Haiti, and uh, we have Fidel from Mexico, and Alan Messimer that's in Taiwan. Well, the top right picture is Jennifer Reynolds, and she's one of the missionaries we support at our church, and she was with Team Expansion But when Rob and Lynn needed help, they had a situation where they needed help. She left Taiwan and went down to Australia. And so since we were supporting her, we were supporting Australia. Well, Rob and Lynn did something they call furlough, and that's where they come back to the States uh, for a bit. 
and he needed somebody to go to Australia and kind of keep things going. And Jennifer said, hey, why don't you ask Alan and Marilyn at my home church? So they did, and we were like, hmm, six weeks, um, living in their house, driving their car, experiencing Australia. Yeah. So my uh, elders said, yes, you can do that. We went from Thanksgiving to Christmas, six weeks time. And so we took the flight, 17 hours. I'm serious. The longest flight ever from Dallas to Sydney, 17 hours. I have never watched so many movies in a row. It's awesome. (laughs) Well, we get there. And, of course, you experience summertime for Christmas, right? And you get to drive on the wrong side of the road. I mean, the left side, the left side. And we got to pet kangaroos, and we got to eat kangaroo. They actually sell kangaroo in the store right next to beef, pork, and chicken. And it's kind of like a cross between uh, beef and venison. It's a dark, lean meat. Wasn't too bad, actually, but, you know, it's kind of like, I'm eating a kangaroo. Why do they sell their uh, national animal in the store? (laughs) Seems wrong, but, hey, Australia. So we got to experience this Australian culture and get to do all those crazy things and celebrate Christmas, and I told them earlier, they were singing songs about Santa being pulled in his sleigh by six big white kangaroo, because... Rudolph can't handle the Australian summer heat. And Santa's, you know, on a surfboard wearing surf shorts. Uh, So it's a total different, I mean, instead of snow angels, sand angels at the beach, baby. That's where it's at. Um, We're going to have a really great Christmas next year in the summertime. Crazy, right? Some of you are jealous. I... uh, I just, it was so different, and it was great, and we got to see uh, how Jennifer worked with the kids at the school. We got to see her work with the kids at the church, and what the church plant looked like, and what uh, Rob did. I got to preach, and teach the youth, and be with the families, and then we came back. Now, I had no intention of doing anything else. We came back, my senior minister said, hey, could you, uh, could you, uh, put together a series of sermons on missions. And so I said, okay, I'll do that. And I went from the angle of being a good supporting church to your missionaries because they get lonely uh, being so far away from home. And so we need to do a better job as churches helping stay connected to them and encouraging them. And so I did that. And the very first sermon was called uh, God is a Global God. And I didn't even preach it. The senior pastor preached it. And Marilyn and I were sitting down here on the left where we always sit. And by the end of that service, God just broke our hearts. I had tears coming down my face. And I was like, where is this coming from? I look over and Marilyn's crying too. I was like, oh God, what's going on? Are you wanting us to be missionaries or some crazy thing like that? I mean, we like our church. Things are going well at our church. I mean, we're getting to the 500 mark. We're, we're growing. Things are going well. We love our elders. We love our families. I love my youth ministry. It's going great. And God keeps doing this. And at the end of that service, on top of that emotional moment, which is very subjective, and I don't trust those moments sometimes, our el- one of our elders came up on stage, grabbed the microphone, and said, somebody here, 
needs to become a missionary. God's telling me somebody needs to become a missionary here. And we're just like, shut up. Sit down. (laughs) We don't want to be missionaries. We're happy where we are. Thank you very much. But we started praying. And we started thinking. And Rob invited us back to come to Quest Camp to preach for their youth camp. And so in our minds we're like, okay, let's go check it out and really seriously consider what would it be like if we actually did this. And so we got to experience camp with the kids from the area and the families from the area, and we sat down with them and we shared um, uh, experiences with camp and what it was like for them as Christians in Australia, the struggles. I'm telling you, when we got back to their house, there was a time where we sat in a circle and we said, okay, if we come here, what would it look like? Okay, and we looked at our strengths and our weaknesses. And I'm telling you guys, it was almost like you took one of those personality profile things and we were a perfect, balanced circle. It was like God put it together. And as we're going around the circle, you know, one was good at technology, one was good at preaching, one was good at teaching, one was good at administration, and so on. And it got around to Maryland, and the uh, Aussie uh, missionary's wife uh, said, Marilyn, I don't know what you have, but you have it. You've been able to accomplish in just weeks what we haven't accomplished in years. Because Marilyn is over there thinking, oh, man, I'm not good at technology. I'm not good at speaking and teaching. Oh, I hope they just tell me to love people. (laughs) And so when it got to her and they said, just love people, she was like, yes. And Marilyn is so relational. And she uh, is really, uh, I think, the key to having those families open up and having us in their homes. And the missionary said, that is not normal. They are usually not very friendly, especially to Americans. And so for us to be invited in the homes... Uh, we just thought Aussies were really friendly people, but evidently, uh, according to them, uh, not as open as we were accepting. I think that's all Maryland. Uh, but I will uh, just set this up. When we were there and as we experienced Australia, we really said yes to Australia before we knew why Australia. Um, I'm going to ask Maryland to come up and to share just a little bit of how God has been preparing us for Australia and why. Yeah, we've had lots of people ask us why Australia. And we asked that ourselves because they speak English, kind of. So I assume they were a Christian nation. And they have Hillsong, and that's where we get a lot of our great worship music from. Well, after we finally said yes, he's been showing us why he's asked us to go. And one thing I'm learning is that God may just ask you to do something, but he doesn't give the details. Uh, one thing, well, someone explained it to me like this, the need in Australia. Picture America 30 years from now and how as a nation we keep trying to take God out of our country. That's Australia right now. Because America was founded on biblical principles and worshiping God freely. Australia was founded on an overflow of British prisoners colonizing there. And so what we're going to is a country who doesn't really believe in any God or a need for one. And so what I'd like to share is just a few stories how God's been preparing me personally for Australia, and I didn't even know it. And when we were there the first time, four years ago, in that small church plant, there were, it was very diverse culturally. So there's about 30 people, and that's if everybody showed up, because going to church on Sunday is not part of their culture either. But there was a family from the Philippines, from China, from Africa, and from the Middle East, in that group of 30, and then you had some Australians, native-born Australians. 
Here's my first story. Our daughter, when she was a senior in high school, she went to her local community college and took some classes, but she also became a tutor, and that's where she met some international students because they needed help with their homework. Well, she introduced them to us and started changing our world. And after our daughter went away to college, away from home, she, we felt God asking us to invite one of these young ladies to come live with us. And so we did. And she came to us very broken because she's from the Middle East, Central Asia area. And women in her country are not valued. So she had been hurt by her country and her people. And then she came to America and because of cultural differences. She had been hurt by Americans. And then she was missing her family because where she's from, she can't go home to visit. If she ever does, she'll never be allowed to leave her country again. So she was just broken. If you get to know me, as also, I'm very relational. I love to hear your story. I love to get to know you. And I'm also very affectionate. Now, two of my kid, oldest kids are out of the house by this point, and I'm just missing them. I remember she was laying on the couch, and I'm sitting in the recliner, and we're watching a movie. I was like, I want to go snuggle her. And so I got enough courage, and I got out of my chair, and I jumped next to her on the couch, and I just wrapped my arms around her, and she wrapped her arms around me, and we just started breaking down some of those barriers. And eventually, through the time we had together, we started having mom and daughter conversations, and then I started sharing Jesus with her. And I would love to say four years later, over four years later, that she's accepted Christ, but she hasn't. Because in her country, accepting Christ is a big deal. And I've learned that people with a Muslim background, on average, it takes them seven years to consider Christ. And she um, has said, thank you, Marilyn, for loving me, even though we don't believe the same. And she's actually on a journey of, she believes in a God. She's trying to figure out who is God. And so she'll, we'll still, she's like a daughter to me. We still have these great conversations about Christ and that. But what she taught me is that people are not projects. Because she doesn't accept Christ in my time frame, I'm not going to stop loving her, investing in her, or sharing Christ with her. So people are not projects. Here's my second story. My oldest son, he came from, home, well, from high school one day and said, Mom, can you pray for my friend? His sister is pregnant and she's 14 years old. I'm like, yeah, I'll pray for her. Well, fast forward seven years. I help with a mom's group at our church. I'm the middle-aged mom, and I remember how hard it was, so I just love on these young moms. Well, in walks a 21-year-old single mom of a 7-year-old. It was her, that young lady I prayed for. I didn't know it at the time, but she came with really thick walls of protection up. You've met, you may have you've met people like that, and you may, have, you may be that person, at, or at least at some point in your life. Because she was 14, just moved to our town, and then found out she was pregnant. Not because she wanted to. She'd been hurt by men her whole life, and that's how she ended up getting pregnant. So she was lonely. She didn't have a lot of friends because being 14 and pregnant, we're pretty judgy. And it's hard at school and that. So she was lonely wanting mom friends, and that's why she showed up. And then I asked her eventually, oh, wait, when I saw her, I was like, ooh, I want her in my group. Let me just love on this young lady. So I got her in my group, and then um, I started asking her, like, how are you getting here? She was bumming a ride from her friend because she didn't have a car or even a license at this point in her life. So I asked, can I start picking you up? And so I got to spend more time with her and her son. And then after a year or so, she didn't have to work Sundays. So I said, hey, how about before church, you come over, I'll make you breakfast, we'll talk about your week, uh, let's read some scripture together, and then we'll go to church. And so she has some different lifestyle choices that are not scriptural. And I heard God say, Marilyn, just wait and love her and let my word get to it. And so I did. And eventually, one Sunday morning, we were going to get to some of those scriptures beforehand. And for several weeks, I'm like, all right, now, do you believe that God, Jesus is God's son? She's like, yeah. And then, do you believe the Bible to be true? Because we're going to get to some stuff that you're not going to really like, maybe. And the world says it's not true, or they're going to say something different. So 
we just kind of go through that. And it was that Sunday morning. And we went through that. And after we read the scripture, she's like, Marilyn, I don't know what I think about that. But thank you for loving me because I wasn't sure when I came to your church I'd be accepted. And because she felt accepted, she kept coming back. And because she kept coming back, she kept hearing God's word. And what God taught me is that I am not the Holy Spirit. Marilyn Todd cannot change lives. But, uh, oh, God's word does. And that's the main point. God's word is what changes lives. And we all have gifts. And let God use your gifts. Mine happen to be loving people, encouraging them, and sharing God's word very simply. Because I'm pretty simple. And then I have one more story. Um, oh, when we were in Australia, when I was over there, some of these Sunday school people heard part of the story. Um, I noticed that there weren't a lot of women who have been Christians for very long. So we have women, whole families. We have kids, parents, and sometimes grandparents hearing about Christ all at the same time. And my heart broke because back at my home church and any church I've been at, there's been several women, we call, we call them gray hair, silver heads, silver heads, that they have a lot of wisdom. And they've been Christian for a long time and maybe they've been part of families and who have had generations of Christians. And I thought, man, if I ever needed wisdom, I could ask several women in my church about life or Christ or marriage, any of that stuff. And these women didn't have that. And I was like, God, there's only one of me. What can I do? And while I was in the States earlier this year, someone, a lady shared a story with me. She's like, Mom, not Mom, Marilyn. She's like, Marilyn, uh, we had a ladies' event. And at the end of it, we paired a 75-year-old woman with a young single mom. And all we asked her to do was call once a week and say, how can I pray for you? And so for 15 years, the 75-year-old woman lived to be 90. 15 years, she called this single mom and asked, how can I pray for you? And that single mom, being a single mom, didn't have time to meet for several years. She was just surviving. But she kept a journal of how God answered her prayer specifically. And so they had this beautiful relationship. And I thought, that's it. I can connect Christian women in America with Australians because we have social media. We have Facebook Messenger. We have email. We have all that other stuff that I'm learning about, Instagram and all that other stuff. But we have these options. So I actually have a clipboard back there, and it's called Adopt an Aussie. And just women pray about it. See if that's something you want to sign up for. You can just check in once a month. I'll compare people. It'll probably be a year before I get this done actually connected, but I'm going to pair up women and just ask that you check in and say, how can I pray for you? And let's see what God does. We're excited about that. And for you uh, guys or or non-techie people, if you just want to follow our story and uh, get our newsletter and see how you can pray for us, you can sign up on the clipboard, the other one that's not for just ladies. Um, And we would be happy. (laughs) that could be a new ministry Mm. man there's so much potential there I tell you though when we came back from that second time and we continued to pray we felt like God had his fingerprints all over this adventure this call and it just kept over and over even though things are going great even my dad would say Hey, if things are going good at your church, don't leave. Thanks, Dad. But we just kept struggling with this call, and we finally just said yes. And so we have sold our house. We have sent our son off to college, and now he has no home address. And so he's struggling a bit. He's better now, but, I mean, for a while he was like, okay, my brother and sister got to come home for Christmas and Thanksgiving, but I become homeless for the holidays. Thanks. 
knife twist. Um, he's better. He's doing better now. But we said yes, and all these things are changing, and we are now going to be a part of this church plant. We're going to establish, uh, hope to get this church to a place where it is elder-led, New Testament church, and uh, a growing, healthy congregation that will then become a hub from which we will send out and plant more churches down the coast between Sydney and Newcastle. That's, that's the plan there in Newcastle, in Cameron Park, which is the neighborhood just next to Newcastle. If you want to look it up, Google Earth, whatever, you can look for uh, uh, the uh, community center, and that's where we have church. Let me just close by reminding you of some verses that we're holding on to. Ephesians 3.20, and man, I hope you know this one. Uh, it's such an amazing, powerful promise as Paul preaches and prays in the letter to the Ephesians. And he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power that is at work, to him be glory in the church. Do you believe that he is able to do that? that He is able to do beyond what you can imagine? I mean, He's already doing it all the time. There's so many more stories that we don't have time to tell. And, and I would love to hear your stories because I'm sure there are those small things that God used in your life that has brought you to sit in this auditorium right now. I mean, what's your story? Have you shared that story? Think about what God has done in your parents' lives or your grandparents' that has you right where you're at. Or maybe you are thinking to yourself, oh man, i got a story and God is using it already. I want to hear that. Maybe after church, I'll be hanging out there at our table. Come share that. I'm so thankful that God does that. Beyond what we can imagine, He works in ways we don't even comprehend sometimes. And He uses all things for the good of those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. My mom is going through stage four cancer. Uh, she just finished her second round of chemo. We'll find out in a few weeks if the test is good or bad, how it's going. But I want you to know that during this last uh, couple of months of chemo, her doctor was saved. And her doctor now is with a uh, church, having her kids involved in a youth program, getting them out of a bad situation in a school that was really uh, being a bully to her kid. And because of my mom's influence, because of cancer, there's going to be somebody in heaven. Maybe a whole family history that's changed forever. And God is able to do that even with the things that we see as evil or tragic or hurtful or painful. Do you believe that, you guys? Instead of saying, God, why? Maybe we should turn it around and say, okay, who? God, who are you trying to reach through this? What am I going to learn through this painful, horrible experience that will actually end up benefiting the kingdom of God and having someone saved? And it's true, it happens all the time. It's just a matter of reminding that God works in as small as a mustard seed, Jesus said. Faith, kindness, generosity, acts of service, would you guys continue to be faithful in saying yes to God, whether that means having a conversation with a neighbor, with a coworker, with somebody you go to school with? 
and look for an opportunity to love them, to serve them, and to share your faith and your story with them. Because it will change the world. Do you believe that? Whether it's here in Marshfield or whether it's in Australia, would you join Marilyn and I in saying yes to God? Because He will change the world through you. Right here, right now. People whose lives will be changed because you trusted Jesus and you were faithful in your kindness, in your love, in your forgiveness. Can I say that again? Forgiveness. Sometimes people, even in the same church, need to let go of some stuff. And Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciple if you love one another. Let's make a difference starting here, starting now, and say yes. Whatever it is that God's calling you to, will you say yes? There's going to be some people uh, that will pray with you around. Uh, if you need to just say, you know what? I need to say yes to this. And I want to say it out loud and have somebody hold me accountable so that I'll do it. Have you ever been there where you're like, okay, I know I need to do this, but if I don't tell anyone, I can just kind of ignore it and get away with not doing it? But if you tell somebody, a friend, a loved one, a leader, and say, hey, pray for me. I need to do this. I mean, this is a perfect time. The new year, this week starts, and you can make that new resolution or whatever, this goal, this saying yes to God. Won't you pray with me? Father God, I pray right now for sunrise right here in Marshville, that you would wrap your arms around the leadership, around Dan and Teresa, around those who are leading their families, around the students who are trying to figure out what it looks like to be a Christian at their school or at their job with their friends. God, I pray that you would help them to walk in such a way that people would see a difference. Lord, that you would help us to be faithful in giving, faithful in serving, faithful in loving so that you would be able to take those small seeds and change the world. God, we've seen it all through Scripture, and we've seen it through stories of, of Christians in our past. Lord, let us live it. Let our story also be one that you do amazing things with. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.